Welcome and thank you for joining me as we worship the Lord together, as we read and study His Word. We're going to start with our scripture reading today, um, beginning in Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 23 and reading through chapter 5 to verse 12. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went, went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth, and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye, when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely, for my sake. Rejoice, and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. May God bless the reading of his word, and as we continue here, I just want to think about this passage and looking at where we're at in the Gospel of Matthew. We're just in the opening um, chapters and looking at what's taken place so far. I would say that we're very likely quite early in Jesus. Uh, As we look at the preceding chapters, it appears to be giving us a, a a chronological account of the events that are taking place. Um, there's no specific time frame given, but it does appear to be a consecutive series of events that are being recorded. These events uh, with Jesus' life here, or his ministry, begin um, right at the end of chapter 3, starting with his baptism by John the Baptist. This is essentially Jesus' anointing to begin his public ministry. This baptism is followed immediately in chapter 4 by Jesus being taken into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And it's after this that we see Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 4 verse 17 begins to preach and then he gathers together his disciples and he travels around from town to town preaching and healing all manner of sickness and diseases. Clearly some time passes as 
He travels from town to town. But there's certainly much more of his ministry to follow this sermon than before it. So the question is, is why is Jesus giving this sermon at this particular point in his ministry? And to answer that question, we first need to consider what it is that he's been preaching up to this point. Now, there isn't a lot of information to answer that question, but um, there are a couple of statements that kind of summarize the content of his preaching. And essentially the same basic message that John the Baptist preached, and that is to repent. Uh, chapter 4, verse 17 says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And again in verse 23, it, it reads that preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And so in preaching the gospel of the kingdom, I would venture to say that that gospel is to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, much like it said in verse 17. And so it appears that this is the main focus of Jesus' preaching up until this point. And so again, the next question is, so why the focus on repenting? If we look at the Old Testament, back in Malachi chapter 3, uh, verse 7 basically summarizes a condition that we see in the people of Israel. And verse 7 says, Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. So there's a, a, a message of repent. Um, it says you've gone away from mine ordinances. And that's the problem. The people aren't following what they'd been taught when the law was given through Moses when God had brought them out of Egypt. And now they need to repent. And that condition, that need of repentance, it existed 400 years earlier and it still existed when Jesus arrived in his day as well. Now the response at the end of the verse, which I haven't read yet, really answers the why of why of what Jesus is about to be preaching, of why Jesus goes into this Sermon on the Mount at this point. The why is the people's response. It goes on to say, it says, But you said, Wherein shall we return? In other words, they think that they're following the law. They don't see the need to repent. They don't know what they're supposed to repent of because they feel like they're already doing what the law says to do. And that's the issue. They were observing many of the religious, ceremonial, and ritualistic aspects of the law. But as God says to Israel in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, he says, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, or perhaps with their actions. It says, And with their lips they do honor me, but they've removed their heart far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precept of men. Their hearts were far from God. The intent of the law 
was completely missing from all of their religious observances. And now, they've been in this condition for so long, when Jesus comes preaching the gospel of repentance, they don't even understand what it is that he wants them to repent of. It's very much like that today. If you were to go on the street and ask the average person if they think that they are a good person, they'll typically answer yes. If you ask them if they think that God, if God would let them into heaven, they will typically answer yes. And if you press and ask them why they think this, a pretty typical answer is something like this. Well, I haven't killed anyone. It's as if not committing a homicide is what they think is their criteria for entrance into heaven. Much like that response that we get from people today, the Jews of Jesus' day thought that observing the rituals of the law is what God was looking for. At this point in in Jesus' ministry, he has spent enough time preaching repentance and he's done so much healing that he's gathered a substantial following. There's a crowd following Jesus around because of his miracles. And so now he finds it necessary to address this issue, to teach the people the intent of the law, to teach them that they've not obeyed the law, that their religious acts don't make them right with God. And so the next couple of chapters actually contain the longest continuous discourse that we see from Jesus within the entire Bible. Um, The contents of this sermon, which we call the Sermon on the Mount, basically turns the beliefs and understanding of the people completely upside down. What Jesus has to say here goes against every natural inclination that we have. So as we begin into chapter 5 of Matthew, the Bible says, He went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. I read a comment about this scene that compared it to when Moses received the Ten Commandments. The, The parallel of going up into the mountain to receive the word of God. But this time, there's a difference. The difference is that the people are free to go up as well. This time, the people can gather around and listen to the voice of God as he proclaims his love and care for them and instructs them on how they should act towards one another and how they should act and behave and feel towards God. But the things that he says are not the things that we like to hear. The picture that Jesus paints in these opening verses doesn't put us in a position that we like to be in. As we've been sitting at home, uh, not able to attend church and not often not able to go to work or whatever the case, uh, I'm sure many of you have turned on your TV to, or your internet to listen to some of the preaching that's available out there. And while many of the preachers are teaching about having an enduring faith, 
about trusting in God through difficult times or dealing with fear and anxiety. Now these are good and necessary lessons at this time, but you've probably seen or heard others that'll tell you that God doesn't want you to get sick, that God doesn't want you to lose your job, that God doesn't want you to be separated from your loved ones. And on and on they'll go, telling you all the good and nice and pleasant things that God wants for you. But I'm afraid these preachers haven't studied or read the teachings of Jesus or the other writers of the Bible for that matter. Uh, the Apostle Paul in particular uh, talks very much about the trials and tribulations and the difficulties that people will face from being a Christian. Jesus expects us, and we see it in these opening verses of this sermon, that he expects us to face all kinds of difficult things in our life. He expects us to go through things that aren't pleasant. But not only that, God has a purpose in letting us face those hard times. God has a purpose in allowing us to go through these periods of suffering. God's purpose is to draw us to himself, to bring our attention back to him, to conform us to the image of his son. So as we face uncertain days ahead, yes, let us look to the verses like Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, that tell us that we don't need to worry about anything, that we can have a peace from God that passes all understanding. We do indeed have a God that is greater, that is stronger, and that is more powerful than any army, than any disease, and than any force that comes against us. And we like David, can say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. None of us wants to walk through that valley. But that isn't what God promised us. What he does promise us is that like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when we're thrown into the fiery furnace, the Son of God will be right there, standing with us. And like Joseph, whose brothers thought to do evil to him as they sold him into slavery, the Bible tells us that God meant it for good, and that God used that evil that was done to Joseph to put Joseph exactly where God wanted him, in order to use him to save the people from starving during those years of famine. So now you and I are being put into a situation that we don't much like. But maybe we need to think that like Esther, when she was told, Who knoweth whether thou art come to this point in your life, to this situation, this place where you are at right now, for such a time as this? God has a purpose for each of us. God has a plan to prosper us, 
for his glory and for his kingdom, not for ours. But we need to understand that nothing is outside of God's control and that no matter the depth of the valley, no matter the darkness that we're facing, God is using that to make you exactly the person that he wants you to be. Are you willing to let him do his work? Are you ready to trust him with your life? Are you ready to let the potter turn you into the vessel that he wants you to be? Are you ready to be conformed to his image? When you choose to follow Christ, the path that we follow is often described as being the straight and narrow way. Have you ever noticed that the more difficult the terrain, the more crooked the roads tend to get? That's because the roads are trying to follow the easiest route. They're trying to avoid the difficult areas, the roughest, hardest parts of the terrain are being avoided. That's not God's path. God's path goes straight. It's not the easy path. More often than not, it's the most difficult path to take. But knowing that you are right where God wants you should make us realize that there is actually no safer place that we could be. So don't lose sight of the shepherd. He knows what he's doing, and he will lead you through. I'm going to turn back to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read these points that Jesus makes one more time. I'm not going to try to elaborate on them. I'm just going to read them again. And as I do that, I'd like you to listen. Um, just think about the circumstances that people find themselves in as he describes each of these points. But then notice that right before each one of them, he describes it as being blessed. So Matthew chapter 5, and it's starting in verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. It doesn't feel 
like we're being blessed when we're facing difficulties or when we're sacrificing our needs for the sake of others or when we're just trying to do what's right and everyone around us seems to think that what God says is good is actually evil. It doesn't seem like we're blessed when we're being persecuted for following Jesus Christ. But it's in those exact circumstances that Jesus says that we're blessed. And what he says is that when we find ourselves in these difficult, impossible situations, it's then that we're supposed to rejoice and be exceeding glad. The reason? For great is your reward in heaven. Things don't always work out with a happy ending here in this life. We don't always get to live happily ever after. This life, this world that we live in, is marred by sin and the consequences of it. But what a fantastic promise that we will receive a reward in heaven for having faced these problems while we're here. Again, Psalm 23 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Know that God isn't worried. God isn't wringing his hands, wondering how things are going to turn out. God's telling us to pull up a chair and eat because he's got this. There's nothing for us to worry about when God's on our side. Trust in God. Jesus says it's a blessing for us to face challenges in this life. So let's rejoice and be exceeding glad. Thank you for joining me today, and God bless.